0: all of them got a chance to vote very democratically about what game they wanted to read a book about. And that I think became a really cool part of the campaign. Welcome to the Credible Brand Podcast where we sit down with successful small business owners who are celebrating a major milestone anniversary. Join your host, Lindsay Wigfield, as we explore the
1: ups and downs of entrepreneurship, share stories of overcoming challenges, and
0: uncover valuable insights on building a credible brand that stands the test of time.
1: Thank you so much for joining me on this special episode of the Credible Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Wigfield, and I'm here with Gabe Durham, editor and chief of Boss Fight Books. Boss Fight Books publishes nonfiction, documentary-style books about classic video games. And in this bonus episode, we're going to take a deeper dive into how they do their product launches. After all, who better to learn from than somebody who has been doing it for 10 years? Welcome, Gabe. Thank you for joining us on this special episode.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Lindsay.
1: Can you tell me about your first product launch and how you prepared for that?
0: Sure. So this is uh, 2013. I'd only months ago had the uh, kind of big idea for my company, which is what if there was a press that could do short historical books about video games that gets into deep dive into what makes the game so unique and sort of build out this big shelf of uh, interesting stories of creators and creations. And to uh, to do that over time, uh, like some of my favorite book series um, in the past, like 33 and a Third, which did um, all these books about albums. And so I had the vision, was working our way toward it, found uh, five authors who were uh, kind enough to sign on with the press, uh, despite it not really quite existing yet. And so we had some books that we wanted to present to the world. And we pretty quickly decided that the way that we were going to launch was through Kickstarter. And that was an important decision because that has turned out to be a huge part of our model to this day, though we didn't know it at the time. Uh, We really wanted to communicate that vision to everybody as, as clearly as we can and just kind of show we were serious about it, right? So we, together descriptions of the books at least like what we knew about what the books would be since they were in the early stages we put together mock-ups of covers of the books um and taking care at that point to kind of already start forging a brand identity through those covers they all share uh something in common which is they take uh photography from something in the real world and use that um, on, a, on a pretty spare, uh, otherwise spare front cover to signal to something in the game. So if you're already a fan of the game, you'll notice some kind of, uh, you know, often funny, but some kind of nod to an aspect of the game uh, that fans know about. And if you're not already a fan of the game, hopefully it's an intriguing enough object to, to, to draw you in a little bit. So we built those, and then we built out the page. and. Uh, kind of talking about how much money we would need to get things going. We set a pretty low bar, which at the time we uh, said was $5,000. I think if we had just hit it, that could have been a real struggle. But at the time, our rationale was, we really want to do these books, and if we don't hit our goal, we get nothing, because that's the the model of Kickstarter. Um, others like uh, Indiegogo are not that way, I believe, but Kickstarter is. And with, with the idea being, you're only going to fund projects that have enough money to get off the ground. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, so we set that low bar. And then we um, also put some time into our video, which my uh, friend and, and Boss Fight author, Ken Bauman, was was working with me closely on the the campaign at the time. And uh, a good friend of his is uh, a film director uh, named Jesse Greech. And so he came in and filmed us for our video. And it was pretty simple. We What well, we wanted to do more than anything, you know, there there are flashy videos. Um, for us, we just really wanted to communicate vision because people in the video game space didn't know us. This was our first time doing something in the game space. I've been writing and publishing for, uh, for a while at that point, but I had not done any video game projects. So we were sort of like introducing ourselves to uh, a new world that didn't know us yet. And so... That was what we kind of put a lot into is like scripting that out, letting people know who we were, why we thought this was a cool idea, what we wanted to do with it and going from there. And so that was, so when day one launched and it was a very exciting day one uh, because people found out about it and showed up, we had all those things ready to go and, and had kind of thought through a lot of the questions people might have. And then the last thing that we dreamed up at that time was, well, we've decided on these five books about these five different video games. Wouldn't it be cool to have one title where our readers decide what the subject of a book is going to be? And that, too, is one of the things we didn't know at the time, but that has become a tradition. And so... We had all these backers and you know, there's all these different tiers that people can um, get just like one ebook for, uh, I believe it was $5 at the time, or you can get the whole series and get the nice paperbacks and some bonus swag and, and that kind of thing. But all of them got a chance to vote very democratically about what game they wanted to read a book about. And that I think became a really cool part of the campaign because you see like the comments pages of a lot of kickstarters and there's like 10 people being like hey this sounds really cool i'm excited uh, i backed it great job you know and, and so and that's great but we had hundreds of people because that was where we had them vote <laughs> like they come in you know at what and you can only come into that chat once you've already backed it right so they came in right after backing it and they had their idea for what game they wanted to read a book about and that first one the game uh, Chrono Trigger was decided, which is like such a great pick and such a like a, a fan favorite retro video game uh, that, that was already pretty old at the, at the time. And so we wound up including that in the campaign as well. So, OK, you guys decided on this game. And so I think that, too, gave people more of a sense of ownership of us and the, the direction of the press right at the beginning.
1: So you set a goal for 5K and yes. What did you get
0: uh i believe we hit 45k on that oh my goodness um yeah so very cool it was definitely more than we were expecting um and part of what we were looking to the campaign for was just that very basic question of this seems cool to us. Uh, this is something that I would like to see in the world. Is that true of other people, or is this more of a like idiosyncratic, Gabe idea? Because I do have a lot of those too. <laughs> like you know, um, but this one, yeah, it it appealed to people. You know, you're just kind of looking for that Venn diagram of uh, readers and people with an interest in video games, and you know, that's not everybody, but it's it's a big world, you know, and it's enough people that uh, that 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 interest is there, and. To be honest with you, at the time, like when I was doing that day one launch, because I was already so immersed in like a creative uh, writer's community, my initial vision was it's probably going to be about half those kind of people, like uh, fellow writers and uh, just readers who are interested in all kinds of things in the world. And then, you know, we'll have like half the gamers. But what was interesting about that day one and really every day since is it's way more skewed toward the gamers. And maybe I should have known that because people like to read books about things that they're interested in. And that, you know, that strikes me as pretty basic now, but it was kind of a revelation to me at the time of like, Oh, the people showing up are really passionate about the, the history and the making of video games. Um, and so that realization came pretty early and that kind of helped us get to know our audience in some ways uh right toward that while also kind of preserving um the the parts of our identity that that were uh, important to me
1: so you still use kickstarter as part of your launch product launches can you tell me about the whole process
0: sure so it's differed since then in the sense that we now, uh, well, in, in all kinds of ways, but since that first one, um, we exist as a company, and so we've been able to plan, you know, a little further and then a little further into the future. And so, one thing that we continue the tradition of is announcing our books in batches, and so which we call seasons, kind of like seasons of TV, and so would say, like, okay, here comes season two of Boss White Books, and we're launching these books, and it's, it's different amounts each time. Uh, most recent one was four books, uh, most often it's five books, but we like doing that because it's such a fun way to kind of preview our year for uh, for our readers. And the other part is like, we really put a lot into the idea of a continuous series that people could enjoy reading one book after the other. Um, one of the like little uh, details that we borrowed from, uh, other series, um, you know, <laughs> including like the, you know, choose your own adventure books that I read as a kid is that there's a number on everyone, you know, on the spine of each paperback, it says like what number in the series it is. And so, you know, there's, that's a little nod to collectability, but it's also a nod to like, Hey, you could just read these straight through and, and hopefully, um, find something interesting each time. And so, when we do that launch, we're kind of directing people uh, if if they're interested toward getting all the books. So we our most popular two tiers are uh, all the eBooks. Um, you know, so you get five five eBooks, and they they'll arrive at different points throughout the next year, or uh, all of the paperback books. And the the people who get the paperbacks also get the eBooks um, as, as kind of a bonus in case they like to uh, read both ways, but that way we can sort of cover our more uh you know i don't know if it's more ambitious as we well, but more um off the beaten path books uh because some of our books are about video games where it's like oh that's that's such a huge fandom that's a slam dunk and sometimes it's about a game it's and it's a take on a game that the author has where it's like oh i really want to read that and i think other people will too but they might not know it going in so It's kind of a great chance to catch people who might not have just automatically gone for a particular book and say, I think you'll like this one too. uh, And we'll kind of incentivize you buying them uh, all at once through this Kickstarter.
1: What else have you improved upon since your initial launch?
0: Yeah, we have really thought a lot about how to uh, kind of honor that contract with people who are kind enough to pre-order these books through a Kickstarter. So the tough thing about being a Kickstarter backer is if you do it enough times is like, eventually you might get burned. Like you might back a project and then it, for any number of reasons, goes up in flames. Um, You know, sometimes it's because people didn't know what they're doing. Sometimes it's like, oh, life happened. <laughs> so there's all kinds of, uh, you know, when we, when we launched in 2013, it was still toward the end of that golden age of Kickstarter where people were just sort of enjoying the idea of it. But pretty soon after that, um, there's a little bit more uh, discernment on the part of backers in terms of like, is this going to deliver what I think it will? And so we've been really thinking hard about how can we make sure we are the ones who will deliver. And, you know, and, and, and things have happened in terms, of especially like sometimes your timeline extends and uh, there can be a book that takes longer than you think it will. And as long as you communicate with people, they are mostly fine with delays, I found, because they really just want the thing to be as good as it can be and they'll enjoy it whenever it comes. Like it's way more important for them that it be good, <laughs> than it be on time. Um, but we especially just try to mitigate for is there any chance that this book is not going to happen? And um, we have at times and through our processes had a book that we sign with an author and then something happens. Either they had lined up a bunch of interviews and then they didn't get them and they found like, oh, I'm less interested in the project if I can't interview the creators or their life gets in the way or something I, I never even learned gets in the way. And so... When we've had that happen a couple of times, it's like, oh, well, we are we really don't want to be on the hook for something that uh, we can't deliver. And so that's why <laughs> this is all just build up to this point, which is we work harder on the books beforehand. And so while in that first Kickstarter, we announced the books before they were very deep in the process. Now they are pretty deep in the process. In fact, some of them are done uh, or not, not done as in printed. But we've finished our work, you know, we've sent them to the printers so that by the time the Kickstarter ends, maybe the book is, is like the paperbacks are coming to us and we can send those out almost immediately. And, and then at the very least, we have a good, strong draft where, uh, you know, no, no matter what happens from there, let's say the author gets a new job and suddenly like they just can't work on it anymore. Like we could finish the book, we could get it out. And so that's been really important to us um, to, to have those uh, deliverables. And, and then also to just um, kind of work in, into the timeline, the possibility that, um, that, that, that things could go different and, and give ourselves some wiggle room so that we do um, be able to, to deliver uh, in, in, in time um, on what we promised.
1: Does Kickstarter allow you to message the people who funded a previous launch and tell them about a new launch?
0: Yes, they do. They've got some things in place where they don't want to have all the backers' uh, confidential information, particularly their addresses. Um, They kind of uh, make those go away after a certain period of time. But... What you can do is reach out to everybody. Uh, it's called a backer update. So you send out a backer update email to your previous campaign and say, hey, I hope you enjoyed this one. Look, we've got this. And so day one, you're sending all of the people from the first campaign to the second campaign, uh, ass- assuming they uh, they still want to be on board. Um, that I've found gets less doable uh, over time because... Let's say I have five campaigns that I've done. I don't want to just blitz every single Kickstarter campaign that I've done, which would have a lot of overlap with people, but also is different people every time. Um, And so at a certain point, we rerouted most of that to uh, our own email listserv, which is made up of our Kickstarter backers. But it's also made up of people who came to our Shopify store and said that um, they would like to join uh, our our email list and that kind of thing. So it's so it's coming from uh, all of these different places and it gives us a chance to reach out to people without, you know, unknowingly uh, annoying. them.
1: Gotcha. So do you usually set a date for when the season is going to launch and then work your way backwards from there?
0: Yes, that's yeah, that's exactly right. So we are thinking in terms of when would be good timing in the year, which most times of year are good. the The conventional wisdom is, uh, don't do December. That's that's kind of the one thing, and and I would uh, I would agree with that too. I, I don't think we have. We might have dipped into December, but like people, there's there's too much going on um, with the holidays. So, but beyond that, uh it's all been fine. We've done summer, we've done winter. Um, and we also go with the, uh, tip that it's great to start on a Tuesday. Um, you're still getting them early in the week, but, but Monday's done. It's, that's also like a day of the week when people are used to a lot of things dropping, um, like, uh, re- releases of, of new, um, new books and, and albums, that kind of thing. So it's just, uh, it, that, that works. And it also gives you, um, a weekday to do day two and day three, um, before, cause the, the weekends can be a bit of a dead zone.
1: True. Yeah. And I think Tuesday gives you time for other, um, like news agencies to pick up on the launch and then yeah. they can publish on your behalf, give you a little boost. Yeah,
0: that's totally true. And, and that's been huge. That was especially a big deal in our first campaign. Um, th- there's this sort of like this, magical thing that can happen when you're first launching a company that you'll never really be able to recreate again, which is the sort of press release or the, the announcement. We are a new thing. We are doing this. And it is more exciting for journalists to cover a new company than it is to, uh, cover an ongoing company. So you sort of have to get more creative after that to say like, well, we're not new but this book is new and this author it's this author's first book and this is maybe this is the first book ever about this video game so you know there's things you can do but uh it is it, it there's certain things that could get more challenging um about getting coverage after that um, but on the other hand you have more reach than you used to right because you have more followers in social media than you did when you first started and you have a bigger email list and so you can kind of, it's interesting, like in the early days, you're really, really relying on other people to like pick up your thing. You have so little control over your messaging and over time you have a lot more and that's, that's comforting. Um, and it's more contingent on people who already know about you, um, saying, yeah, I want to sign up. I want to, I want to do this again.
1: So you spent time creating this email list and collecting email addresses from your website, from customers who, Purchased in the past from Kickstarter, and what does the email campaign look like when it comes to a product launched nowadays?
0: It's really a pretty simple email, you know. It, it's and in fact, like I've I've toyed with different levels of simplicity. Some where uh, I don't even say what the new book are in the email where I'm just really trying to like lead to the click through. So I'm like click through to the campaign and find out what it is. Um, I don't really know which of those two approaches is better, but I do think simple is better because really like you don't have to get into everything in an email. Like you, the email's job is not to explain every question that somebody would have about the new book and about the campaign. Cause that's what the campaign is for. Like the campaign is mostly text. And you know, over time we've also found that, uh, Building out a nice uh, homepage for a Kickstarter campaign is way more important than almost any other aspect. Especially, um, it's more important than video because it, I, I do think I'm really glad that we worked hard on those early videos because we're sort of introducing ourselves to the world, and you know, I'm able to just sort of show up in a room, usually some, a room in my home, like uh, like the one I'm in now, and just sort of speak directly. Um, but over time, we found a lot of people are just, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. And they just go right down to the campaign because what they're interested in is like, what's the book? Let me see the description of the book. What does it cost? And so they, they're, they they kind of already know what they want. And so the mo the best time spent is just really making sure that that page looks nice and that it answers all the questions and it's, and it's well-written and all of that stuff. But Yes, about email and one of the things that I have been playing around with, and I I think we'll do again, it's more work, but it's also more fun, which is so during our most recent Kickstarter, which was our most successful, our season six campaign, we tried out this thing where we only, we announced that we're doing four new books, but we only announced the title of one of them on our day one launch. And then we kind of created like, you know, just, just sort of like question mark spaces uh, on our page for the next ones. And what that did was, I, th- I think it's a winds up being a softer day one than you would normally have. But the issue that we'd run into in the past is we kind of burned through all of our cool stuff on day one, which is to say, here's the books. Here's what they're gonna be about. Here's the authors. Here's, you know, we just go boom, 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 boom. It's very exciting. And then day one ends, excuse me, uh, day one ends. And there's such a lag uh, from there because like, what else can you do? And the other thing that I don't like is whenever you announce a season, inevitably, some of the books are just going to get more traction um, online than the other ones, either because their authors are better known or because the game is better liked. But one of you know one of them kind of like runs ahead of the other books and so it became a, the experiment was like okay we'll give each book its day in the sun and sort of artificially create like a release schedule of um so we did 4 weeks 4 books so you know we launch on the Tuesday but then each Tuesday we say okay here we are and uh this week we're announcing this book and people liked it. I mean, I think they had fun with it. The The, the downside for me is, you know, it's, it's 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 more work to keep showing up and sort of doing a new mini launch every time. And of course, you yeah, know, look, I'm on the West Coast and I'm always trying, <laughs> like every time I do this stuff, I'm getting up so early to catch, like to be there right at the beginning of the day, Eastern time. Um, and, but I, you know, I, I think it proved worth it. Like I said, this was our biggest campaign. And so and I think like people sort of enjoy that gamified aspect to like oh what's it going to be and sort of like guessing at it a little bit themselves and that kind of thing. How did
1: you use social media in this guessing game?
0: <laughs> yeah, we uh, I mean definitely we're like teasing it out a lot on Twitter. So that that, that was um, that was and and has been uh, our our biggest social media platform it has the most, uh, reach in the gamer community. It's, it's big with writers. It's big with journalists. So it's kind of, it's the newsiest one. Um, and I think it still is, um, you know, despite all the, the X stuff and, and all the, the changes that have, uh, it, it's undergone, uh, for now it still gets the most traction. And so we have used that Especially for in, in the kind of like moment to moment announcements, like if we just have little things to to say, like they're not all going to go out through Kickstarter or through a backer update or that kind of thing, but like, well, we can say them on Twitter. And it's also just such a good machine for uh Reposting other people's excitement, um, and so you know, and to, again, it's still a lot. A lot of changes have been going on over there. But one of one of the things that they recently took away was um, the the free use of TweetDeck, which is a bummer because TweetDeck was an excellent tool. And you know, I I might have to uh, just buckle up and and pay for it again at some, especially once we do another campaign. Uh, but that's how you can really keep an eye on like what people are saying about each author and each book and congratulating. And there is a momentum to that, that I could never create just from tweeting from the boss by Twitter account, but to instead point to all these other people and be like, this person says that they're excited about this book and here's why. And, you know, they might have takes that we don't have. And just, I think just seeing the number of people who are excited about a thing just naturally uh really helps and so keeping that going is a huge part of running a campaign as well
1: what are some tips that you have for someone who may be doing their first launch
0: yeah i think like be prepared for uh day one to be the biggest focus of all your activity um you're going to be doing a ton of work going into the week before day one. And then you're going to be doing a ton of work on day, like so much, and it really clear out your schedule for day one, because yes, like it'll roll out nicely if you've already done the work going into it, but it also, uh, you know, people are going to be asking questions. Uh, You are going, you know, uh, you you might have a, a bigger team than I do, which is great. But if, if not, you know, if you, if you have that kind of DIY vibe, then you might find that, people, uh, have all kinds of questions or they come out of the woodwork. They're like, oh, I have an idea for a book. And you look at, it, it's like someone who, it like, this is a bad time, but, uh, that's very interesting. And I do, and I do want to hear it for you. So you have all kinds of, uh, thoughts and ideas or somebody being like, oh, the way you worded this, I didn't know if you meant this or this. And you have to like get on the page and kind of clarify some things. And so, uh, that's a marathon and it's, super exhausting. Um, and you, you kind of crash at the end of the day, feeling like kind of buzzy and also drained. And then you kind of wake up on day two and you're like, okay, here we go again. And you're sort of, you got your coffee and you're like ready. And the the dip is so appreciable that I think a lot of people freak out a little bit because it's like, oh, what went so wrong that suddenly uh, I'm getting so much less traction? And the truth is like, that's just how it goes. Like you, it's, it's because you don't have a new thing to say other than like, I'm still doing this. And so you can kind of pick how long you want to do a campaign for. And certainly there's all kinds of exceptions to this because some campaigns don't do well for a while. And then a news organization picks it up and gets all this new traction. And suddenly all this new life is breathed into the campaign. But I think most of the time, it's like there's day one and then there's everything else. So be ready for that, both in terms of like working hard to make day one pop off and then, uh, yeah, kind of mitigating your own expectations for like what it's going to be like to run a campaign after that. And, you know, maybe you could do something, your own version of what we did, which is like withhold some cool things until, uh, you, uh, it, you know, until, until later in the campaign. And I think stretch goals are a really natural part of that, which is um, if if you're not uh Kickstarter literate, stretch goals is uh, something where as the number goes up, you promise to add different things to the campaign. So often that's like, oh, well, if we get to $10,000, then we'll add this cool bookmark that we designed. If we get to $20,000, then we'll Uh, give away this um, free ebook that's like uh, also a part of it. And so you want to be really careful with those because again, you don't want to overpromise, but I think that you do want to add them because it's another way of gamifying the process, giving people an interest in your own success that is both like uh, very nice of them and also like, oh, it's in their own best interest if this does well. And you want to... um, have something to say. <laughs> and, and without being, and this is a tricky part that like no one can really tell you, without being too annoying. <laughs> because at a certain point, you could hit diminishing returns where people are sick of hearing from you. And you don't want to become that person on the internet that's just so self-marketing that it swallows up everything else.
1: Have you ever used influencers or user-generated content to promote your launch?
0: A little bit. We have never um, like invested money into influencers, but what we do sometimes is we like to send people a preview um, of the page. You can once you've built out the page, you can kind of send it to whoever you want, and if there's somebody. And particularly like the, the most useful people I found are the ones where it's like, Oh, this is absolutely for them. You know what I mean? Like if it's somebody who loves this game and talks about it all the time, and you're thinking like, Oh, this is somebody with a lot of reach and they might be uniquely excited about this book. And you can say, Hey, look, we're doing this. What uh, wanted to show you. And you know, if, if uh, you help to helps spread the word, great. If not, no problem. You know, and I'm always pretty careful about like not having a really lofty ask of people, but instead just kind of no pressure. Here's this, uh, with, with you know, would, uh, would love to get your help. But, um, cause uh, you know, nobody really owes us anything. <laughs> so, um, it's a quality product and they want to share it. Yeah. That's gosh, that's the ideal, right? Is like, if, if you just kind of, and, and, luckily i think that's true (laughs) like we 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 put out good stuff and so they uh ideally just like want to send it out to their community but that might be um influencers it might be uh you know i mean it, it could be streamers i think we have we could stand to do a lot better in that space um i have to confess i don't pay enough attention to that even though it's so big um but it might be to particular games journalists, or it might just be to people who are big in that fan community, because uh, sometimes there's there's folks that like you and I would have never heard of, but who really are influential among people who still play and love to talk about and create art about like a very particular video game. And so if you can kind of reach out to that community and say, hey, we see you and we and and maybe like even we cited you in this book and like that kind of thing if it's really natural to just say like I think this is for you and and they'll determine if it is or not but probably it is
1: how do you maintain sales after the initial launch what sort of marketing tactics do you
0: use sure so we like to use the launch as an opportunity to Get some of those people on board who will then help us spread the word when the book actually comes out. So part of that is, you know, we send it out in these um, kind of different—I uh, was going to say batches—but like kind of uh, we send out the, the book uh, to, to different folks at different times. So like the very first thing we do is uh, send out the ebook to our Kickstarter backers. And then usually we'll make the ebook, uh, available on our website. And then we make the, uh, paperback available to Kickstarter backers and then make that available on our website. And then only then, like after all of those, then our distributor that, uh, that basically they sell the book to bookstores, uh, including Amazon, but also, um, all the, all the local brick and mortar bookstores, um, and, and the chains and all that, then, they, uh, will get into stores and only like once they have it, uh, in stores, do we do the official release date of that book? And so like my point to, to bring it up all those phases is each one of those is kind of an opportunity to, um, have a little bump in terms of like people's awareness of the book. It's, it's something to announce. It's something to like say on social media is like, Hey, this, this is out in this format and you can get it here. And then it's also a chance to kind of re engage um, all of your readers who initially backed the book because they're the first readers and they're often some of the most passionate. And so if some of them are actively reading the book, or maybe they just blasted through it immediately once you send it out, which is really cool when that happens, is now, yeah, you have some people vouching for it who are not just saying, like, oh, the author says it's good and the press says it's good, but like, this is just uh, someone who's been paying attention to our stuff, and you know, uh, I, maybe they've read a bunch of our books, and they're like, "This is my new favorite one." Or maybe they haven't, and they're they're from that fan community I was talking about a moment ago. Is like they know the game, and they and if they say this author really gets it, you see their love for it, you see how hard they work, then that um, means a lot, in, in in a way that us vouching for it uh, cannot, or even sometimes it can mean even more than, um, a book review to particular people, because, um, if, if the person who's saying it, um, carries enough weight, uh, within a particular community.
1: Is there anything that you're going to do differently with the next launch? That's
0: a good question. I think that we're going to continue this, um, one at a time thing we've also experimented with we've done a couple of book launches that were single book launches and we could do that again at some point um i'm not exactly sure yet what the next one is going to look at and um it's going to be partly determined by what happens with several manuscripts in in the coming months, but it could be that we, um, you know, we have one uh, book that's really ready to go and that we um, are excited about. And So we're like, okay, well let's let's do a single book campaign. Um, what I found the the benefit of that is you can really create a nice, clear, concise message in a way that's harder with the season. Um, it would be asking too much of our readers to do a Kickstarter for every single book. I think they would get exhausted, but to occasionally just do a one-off um, it can be nice because we can just be like boss fight is doing about, about the history of this game and you can kind of make the game, the focus of it. And you can theme the page after the game uh, in a way that's, that's cute and appealing. And so we, we did that um, once with this, uh, book about uh, the Atari game Breakout, which was, um, this is a a re-release of a book from the 80s, and it was such a different thing than what we usually do that we're like, it's just not included in a season, let's give it its own. And then more recently, we did our book about Goldeneye, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, pretty similar to what we usually do, but we did a hardcover deluxe version in addition to the paperback. And because we were launching that, we thought like, well, let's like give this its own thing And give people, and it was kind of an experiment on our end too to see if um, if people wanted that. And so we—that's just to say, like we're always tinkering, (laughs) like, and we're—I think it's it can be nice to to keep it interesting and to and to keep experimenting. Um, And um, I, I think part of that is just sort of looking at where you are at in your own release schedule, and also. Like looking at the the what the project in front of you and being like, how might people best receive this instead of like, what do we always do? Because um, because people will follow you to, to different formats and and I think like trying things can be uh, exciting for for your um, followers too.
1: Yeah. So talk to me about your pricing strategy.
0: Yeah. So. When we're talking about crowdfunding, um, one thing that you really wanna do is your homework ahead of time because you don't have certain things in front of you if you are pre-funding, but you really wanna know how much it's gonna cost, like you know, I'm in book printing, so uh, how much it's gonna cost to print the book and then to ship the book. Um, But whatever you're selling, if it's physical objects, um, there could be some surprises in there and you definitely wanna create a little wiggle room for yourself. Uh, Kickstarter, for instance, they take five percent right off the top for themselves, um, and they—they they should. They—they <laughs> they, they do a lot of good work, but there also is another almost five percent that goes, uh, I believe, to the banks or you know whatever they use to um, transfer money around. So you kind of want to build in that ten percent that you're thinking about. Like we're not getting this. You also, you know, every time you look at a crowdfunding campaign, they factor in all of the shipping money into the number that they uh, emblazon on the top of that page, which looks really cool. So you're like, wow, look at all these tens of thousands of dollars. And then, you know, a chunk of that is just going to the US Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. And you really want that number to line up, right? And, uh, you know, I'll say like, I, I wish I could say that I figured this out early on, and just did it perfectly every time. But even fairly recently, um, we found that there was a huge jump in the amount of money that it costs to send uh, our books to uh, a lot of countries internationally. Um, And that was something that had been pretty consistent for a lot of years. So I got a little complacent about it. I was like, I'm sure it's about the same. And so I just priced it as we usually did on a campaign only to find after we finished the campaign that I had really undercharged on some of those. And so like the cost to send out those books, uh, it was eating into it probably to the point that we weren't making any money on those sales. So because, uh, international shipping can be so expensive. You just really want to do your homework and and make sure that you get those numbers right. Um, because that can be, it could be such a bummer to be like, Oh, well, look at all these orders. And then to have it suddenly eaten up um, by all that. And the, the other thing I'll say is like price your products um, according to what you really want the top number that someone could possibly pay to be. Um, I, I'm sure I could have said that more concisely, but what I mean is you have to um, create a, a retail price for your, uh, again, books in my case, but for your product that, can go down because you don't want to sell something that's so low that it really has to stay at that price. You want to sell something that like starts at a higher price and then you can do a big Black Friday sale and it's twenty percent off. But like if you don't have the margins to declare something twenty percent off, then it just has to stay at that top retail price at all times. And you want to communicate the the value of what you do. And I think I struggle with that a little bit in the early days because. I had not run a press before, I had not run a company before, and it felt a little bit of imposter syndrome of like, who am I to charge people, you know, uh, $15 for a book, you know, but the answer is, uh, I, you know, I'm just like uh, anyone who uh, puts out something that they think is valuable and I, and I, and I can, and I should. And that's, uh, that's really important to communicate to people, not just that like, we need this money to keep doing it, which is true. But also like, this is valuable. This is a product that's worth your time. And you can always uh, cut it down from there for sales or for distribution to stores or that kind of thing. But yeah, make sure make sure it's high enough.
1: So your current Kickstarter campaign is season six and you have one digital book for $8. Uh, mm. The two digital books for 15 and then you have a couple different options. What would you say, you, I believe you said the digital subscription, the all the books um, was the most popular tier? Uh,
0: the Yeah, so the the digital subscription and the print subscription were the two most popular tiers. Um, and so that's, yeah. So you have your readers who are happy to just do it all uh, on their Kindle or e-reader. And then you have the readers who really like the tactile, like physical books. And so you're kind of trying to, Cater to both of them and and like I was saying before, you know, trying to incentivize people to get um, all, in this case, get all four books instead of uh, just one or two. So that um, maybe uh, there's there's a topic that they didn't know that they want to read about, but then when it comes, they'll give it a shot.
1: Yeah. And what I really like is your top tier for $500. You get a Zoom call with Gabe, tell him (laughs) about the games you'd like to read about, learn about how books are made or whatever. It's your time. And you have backers for that. So how have those Zoom calls been?
0: Um, Yeah, they've been really cool. It's it's such an interesting, like, open-ended thing toward that top tier is like, some people are just kind of happy to like, be true, like learn a little bit about how it works to run something like this. And some people have ideas and that's really cool. You know, like they're, they are happy to, uh, give you some customer feedback and to give you the ideas for books that they want to read about. And, um, so, you know, I welcome all that, but I try to be a little bit open-ended about it because, um, it's uh, yeah, it's their time.
1: I love that. And on that note, I think we can conclude this bonus episode of the Credible Brand Podcast. Thank you so much, Gabe, for telling us all about the product launches that you do and giving us a behind-the-scenes look at uh, Boss Fight Books. I appreciate your
0: conversation. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Credible Brand Podcast. Please visit wigfieldco.com. That's w-i-g-f-i-e-l-d-c-o.com. From there, get links and show notes pertaining to this episode. Send us an email at info at wigfieldco.com if you'd like to be a guest on a future show.